we are in chapter one in Shmuel Bet, and we see at the beginning of the chapter how David gets the news about the fall of Israel, the fall of King Saul and his sons in the war against the Philistines. And the bearer of these tidings is an Amalekite. And when David gets the news from this Amalekite that Saul and his sons fell in the war, he asks the Amalekite, how do you know? Did you hear about it? Is it a rumor? Did you see it with your own eyes? Did you actually witness it? Because David is hoping that maybe it's not true. And so the Amalekite now gives over a five verse description of how he saw Saul dying and leaning on his spear, etc. And it's interesting that this is not mentioned. In the chapter previous to this, the end of Shmuel Aleph, chapter 31, we got a full description of Saul falling on his sword. There was no mention of the Amalekite coming along. We saw in the previous chapter how Saul was in agony. He asked his arms bearer to finish him off before the Philistines get to him and the arms bearer couldn't do it and Saul fell in his sword. There's nothing about an Amalekite walking around there. So there are commentators that say that, that this Amalekite is lying. But what's most likely is that the previous chapter left this part out. Why? Well, that's because that chapter was all about Saul going down in his final heroic battle. And it wouldn't have been appropriate to mention this Amalekite who came along and finished off Saul's suicide. It wasn't the place for it there. So here we're going to get this added story of what happened after Saul fell in his sword. So again, he is going to add a narrative we did not see in the last chapter. Okay, so let's get back to what this Amalekite tells David. We read it quickly in our last shiur, but in Rabbi Kahana's commentary, he's going to try to show that this Amalekite might be telling the truth that, yeah, he killed Saul, but he's saying it in a certain way. He's putting a spin on it to find favor with David, and he'll contradict himself under interrogation. So let's look again at what he said. He said like this in verse 6, I chanced to be in Har Gilboa, on Mount Gilboa, and behold, I saw Saul leaning on his spear with the Philistine cavalry going after him. Now that does fit in to the narrative of what we saw uh, last chapter, that the Philistines were Nidbakalov. But the thing is, he says he chanced to be on Mount Gilboa, Nikra Nikreti, it says in Hebrew. I happened to be there. Why is that problematic? Because back in verse 3, when he first came to David, the first thing he said was, Yisrael nimlatati. I escaped from the Israel camp. So then he sounded like one of the Jewish fighters. He ran away from the Machane. Now, under interrogation, he says, I happened to be chancing by. And so he was misrepresenting himself at the outset when he says he's like on the Jewish side for the Machane Yehudi. And now it says he chanced to be there because the truth is most likely that he was some scavenger looking for the spoil and the goodies in the aftermath of the battle. He might've been there after the Jews fled and the Philistines, they're going through the carnage and he's looking, looking to take weapons of the fallen Jewish soldiers. And Saul is still alive, barely. And he's going to ask this Amalekite to kill him. Okay, let's continue with what the Amalekite says. He says, Saul was leaning on his spear and then he turned around and he saw me and he called to me and I said, Hineni. And he asked me, who are you? And I told him, I am an Amalekite. And he said to me, stand over me now and put me to death for I'm in the throes of death. And I stood over him and I put him to death. Okay, that's what he said. And according to Rav Kahana, who probably has a lot of uh, 
experience dealing with the Shin Ben interrogation. So he's very sensitive to these different girsot, these different versions of the narrative. The rabbi points out some problems here because the Amalekite says, Saul turned around and saw me. So you mean, Mr. Amalek, that you were standing there and watching and he didn't try to help, give any assistance. You're behind him. What are you doing behind him? It was only because Saul happened to turn around and see you that you reacted. Maybe the Amalekite was going to kill Saul from behind. Again, why is this Amalekite behind him? Is he creeping up on him from behind? And then, according to the version of the Amalekite, Saul turns and sees him and he calls out to him and he says, Hineni. Now that's the Lashon of Tzadikim. That's how Tzadikim talk. You know, Hineni. Here I am at your service. So he's being like a Hanfan, you know, a bootlicker. Okay. Then when Saul asks, who are you? What does that mean? It means that the Amalekite, he didn't look like a soldier. Why should Saul ask him this? He wasn't dressed like one for sure. He was just some guy walking around. So the Amalekite is admitting he's not from the Jewish camp, like he said at the beginning. That's why Saul's asking, who are you? And what is the Amalekite answer to Saul's question? He says, Amalek Anochi. I am an Amalekite. And this incriminates him too, because an Amalekite would be happy to stick it to Saul. I mean, Saul killed the Amalekites. He says, I'm an Amalekite. I'm from the nation you almost wiped out. So he's mocking Saul, enjoying watching him suffer. And his hate for the Jews is so great that while he's giving his testimony, he's spewing out these words here without realizing it. And again, he's signing his own death warrant because, hey, for Jews, it's an obligation to wipe out Amalek. But he forgets himself. Okay, so then Saul told the Amalekite, stand over me and put me out of my misery. Now notice, Saul didn't tell this Amalekite, what he said to his arms bearer in the previous chapter. In that last chapter, when scripture describes Saul's death, he told his arms bearer to kill him so these uncircumcised Philistines don't torture and abuse him. But he's not going to repeat that to this Amalekite. He's not going to say that to him. He's not going to say, kill me so that these Philistines don't get to me first because he knows that this Amalekite would be overjoyed if the Philistines tortured Saul. So, of course, Saul left that part out. He just said to the Amalekite, kill me, and that's it. And before continuing, isn't it ironic that the last thing that Saul hears in his life, the last words is, Amalek Anochi, I am an Amalekite. And that's part of his tshuva. He knows he messed up by not wiping an Amalek. And his sin is now staring him in his face in the last seconds of his life. The last thing he sees and hears is, I am an Amalekite. Okay, how else does this Amalekite incriminate himself? Well, what's the last thing he says here? I stood over him and I killed him. Why? For I knew he couldn't live after this fall. That's how he ended it. I knew he would never get up after this fall. You see how happy he sounds? He sounds kind of happy, you know? No hesitation. Compare it to Saul's arms bearer who didn't dare touch Saul. So this Amalekite is doing it with a gusto. As he says, I stood over him and I killed him and I knew he wasn't going to get up. He's not exactly sorry about it. You can even say he's loving it. Okay, now the Amalekite has one more thing to say. And what is it? He said he's brought back something for David, a prize. What is it? And I took the crown upon his head. And I took the crown upon his head. 
and he had a band. I took the band off his arm. And I have brought him here to my Lord. So he's given David a prize here, Saul's crown and some jewelry or band that Saul had on his arm. And that could be, maybe Saul fought with his crown and some band on his arm. But a lot of the commentators say it was something else. If you look at Tirgum Yonatan, he says, what's the nezer? What's the crown? It's not a crown. It was totafot. That's the words of the Tirgum Yonatan, totafot. And Rashi brings that too. What's totafot? Totafot is tefillin. He had tefillin of the head and the arm band he has was tefillin shalyad. So Saul was fighting with his tefillin on. And that might sound far-fetched, but that's what the Tirgum Yonatan says, totafot. And we know in the Talmud, that the rabbis in the Talmud, they wore tefillin all day long, not just when they prayed in the morning like we do. And the yeshivas today, I see it all the time, where boys, they wear the tefillin all day long. I know Jews who wear it outside the yeshivas in the Beit Midrash, they wear it on the bus, everywhere. And they have these really small boxes that the tefillin of Rosh and, and Yad, it's not like the Chabad ones, these big boxes, it's like these small boxes. So the klaf, the parchment that's written on is really small and they keep it really small so they can maneuver because they're wearing it all the time. So if Saul was fighting with his tefillin on, it was also probably small. You don't want it to get in your way. So, okay, so I don't know if Saul was fighting with his tefillin on, but that's what the Tirgum says. That's what Rashi says. And it is a fact that once rabbis did wear the tefillin all day long, and one of the rabbis said that he merited a long life. Why? Because he never went Arba Amos without his tefillin. That's in the Talmud. Now today, most don't wear tefillin all day. Why? Because you're supposed to keep uh, clean physically and, and mentally. Your body and mind, while wearing tefillin, are supposed to be uh, pure and clean. And so today, because we're not on that level to keep our minds clean, we get distracted. And therefore, most religious Jews don't wear the tefillin on other than in the morning when they're davening. But the counter-argument is, for those who do wear it a lot, when they're praying mincha, or even, like I said, when they're learning or going on the bus even, because they say like this, when they wear it, that keeps them clean. That keeps their mind focused and pure. It helps them keep the right frame of mind because while you're wearing it, you're mindful of it and you feel the responsibility and you're more careful, etc. Okay, so that's kind of parenthetical. Let's go back to David and this Amalekite. The Amalekite tells his version of events and he brings David, Saul's to fill in, We'll go by that perush. And he thinks he's bringing happy news to David. He thinks David's going to be overjoyed. But it's the opposite. As it says in verse 11, And David took hold of his clothes. And he tore them. And likewise, all the people who were with him, all his men, they also did kriya. They tore their begid. They tore their garment as a sign of mourning, of course. Now notice it says that first David did it. And then his men. It's like they weren't sure how to react to this news. After all, Saul was their enemy. He's been chasing them. And they weren't sure how to react. So they waited to see what David did. And then they followed suit. And that's why it says, David tore his clothes. And then the rest of those men followed suit. It's not just they tore their clothes. It says like this. They wept. And they fasted and they mourned until evening. Al Shaul, Val Yonatan Beno. They mourned over Saul and over Yonatan's son. 
This was the heads of the dynasty. Va'al am Hashem, for the people of the Lord, they cried and mourned. Val Beit Yisrael, and on the house of Israel. Why? Ki niflu because they fell by the sword. So let's look at these components that they mourned over. Well, we understand um, Saul and his sons. That's the dynasty. And then it says, Va'al am Hashem. They mourned over the people of the Lord. And that's the aspect of the Chilul Hashem that was created by this downfall. That when the Jews fell to the Philistines like that, Am Hashem. This is the nation of Hashem here that went down and that creates a desecration of God's name because the Philistines now say that their God is the real God, right? They took Saul's head, they put it in Beit Agon. It's religious victory for the other side. So they're crying over Am Hashem, the desecration of Hashem's name. The nation of the Lord has been defeated. It also says they cried over Beit Yisrael. They cried over the house of Israel. And that's concerning more the personal tragedy, the house of Israel, the, the physical tragedy of this defeat by the hands of the Philistines. And it's such a national disaster that David instructs his men to fast and mourn the entire day. It says, Ada Erev, they fasted the whole day. It wasn't just Kriya and that's it. Okay, so yeah, they spend the entire day fasting and mourning. Now let's get back to the Amalekite who delivered the news. What is he thinking? He is thinking, uh-oh, I thought David would be happy that I'd get some kind of reward. But David's mourning over the news. So he knows from David's reaction already that he is in big trouble. And now David is going to give him a short cross-examination. And this is what David says to him in verse 13. And David said to this young man who told him the news, A mise atta. Where are you from? And the Amaleki said, Hamana, 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 Hamana. That's where the honeymoon is. He said, Ben Ishger Amalek Anochi. He says, I am the son of an Amalekite convert. That's pretty complicated. Well, it doesn't have to be a convert. Ger Amalek, it could be a stranger that I'm from out of town, but I settled in Israel. I am a foreigner. I'm the son of a foreigner, or I'm the son of a convert. Ben Ishger Amalek Anochi, kind of complicated. I am the son of an Amalek convert or the son of an Amalekite foreigner who lives in Israel. It depends on how you want to translate Ger, either convert or foreigner. Okay, so what was David asking here? A Miza'ata, where are you from? What's he asking? And what kind of answer is that Ben Ishger Amaleki? So first off, David's question is like this. Where are you from? Are you from the land of Amalek? Well, you're from Israel. I mean, in the story you just told me, you said to Saul, you're an Amalekite. He asked you, who are you? You said, I'm a Lekanochi. Now, when I ask you where you're from, you're telling me something else. You say, I'm the son of an Amalek convert. You didn't say that to Saul. So you see now how he's getting caught in his own words. And again, this is only Rabbi Kahana's commentary where he's finding the contradictions in his testimony, it sounds like the rabbi was used to being interrogated by the Shin Bed or something because he really finds holes in the Amalekites' story here. Now, what's closest to the truth, of course, is what the Amalekites said to Saul when he was giving his story over. When he said to Saul, I'm an Amalekite, and that's it. That's the truth, obviously. What he said to David afterwards is more of a hamana hamana. He's nervous, so he had to come up with something that doesn't sound so bad. Made himself sound a little bit Jewish, you know, I'm a son of a convert or foreigner. It doesn't sound like a purebred Amalekite, but he's trying to get out of this. He knows he's in big trouble. 
he knows that he has been caught in a lie and he has conflicting versions. So he's coming up with something good and fast. So he says, I'm the son of an Amalekite convert. Nice try, buddy. Nice trying to make yourself sound like you're on our side. But that's not what you said to Saul in your version of the story. Your own words incriminate you. Okay, so David's got him. And he says in verse 14, David. And David said to him, How did you not fear stretching forth your hand against the Lord's anointed? How dare you stretch forth your hand against the Lord's anointed? Verse 15, and David called one of the youths, and he said, Gash, go to him, and strike him, and he struck him and he died. So David called one of the youths to put this Amalekite to death. Okay, now we want to understand why David put this guy to death. I get it. He's... Not exactly telling the truth. Like, if you look at Rabbi America Hanna's commentary, you can see the Amalekite was caught in a lie about his identity, about his reason for being there and all that. But why kill him? I mean, Saul asked this Amalekite to kill him. He just obliged. He fulfilled Saul's request. You're going to put him to death for fulfilling Saul's request? Okay, so first of all, the problem with him is, as we said, he seemed to enjoy it and he made Saul look bad. He doesn't even call him King Saul. He says, I saw Saul leaning on a spear. He doesn't say King Saul. So he's showing no respect and he's cheapening Saul's legacy. He's tarnishing his legacy because instead of Saul being a martyr, he's making Saul into this nebbish who needs help from an Amalekite to kill himself. He can't even commit suicide right. Now, just from David's words to him, you can also understand why he put him to death. What did he say? How dare you raise your hand against the anointed? You think it's so simple and easy for you to kill a king of Israel? Just like that? Just like that you kill the anointed? So that's why David killed the Amalekite, because he's showing no respect. Now, according to the Dat Mikra, David puts him to death in order to fill the obligation of wiping out Amalek. You could just say it simply as that. There's a mitzvah to wipe out Amalek. So we killed this Amalekite. The guy admitted he's from Amalek, right? And Rabbi Gahana gives yet another reason why David put this Amalekite to death. Because David doesn't want people to start knocking off Saul's family left and right and think that now David will give them a reward, killing off Saul's offspring or whatever left of it. And they'll run to David expecting a prize. David doesn't want to set a precedent. He doesn't want that happening. So he makes an example out of this Amalekite. He's letting people know, don't touch Saul's descendants. You're not going to get a prize from me. You're going to get the death penalty from me. Now notice also that David himself doesn't kill the Amalekite. He has one of his Na'arim do it. One of the boys do it. That's what it says. He called over one of his Na'arim and that Na'ar, he killed the Amalekite. Why did he do it that way? That's what you call Din Chinuch. That's how you educate the younger generation. You, you let him know that you got to kill the bad guys. You're giving him a Torah lesson. So he has him do it himself. You know, it's kind of like when somebody wants to teach their child the importance of giving charity, giving tzedakah. So instead of just having the child watch the father give tzedakah, the father will put the coin in the kid's hand and the kid will put it in the pushka. The kid puts it in the pushka box. That's what's happening here. 
David's not just going to kill this Amalekite and let them watch. A better lesson is they do it themselves. Let them get used to it. Condition them. Let them get used to burning out the evil. How's that for Chinuch? Okay, it's not over yet. David now will explain how he came up with this Psach Halacha. He can't just kill people. You know, you got to have halachic justification for it. So he says like this, David. And obviously he said this before he killed the Amalekite. But this is what David said. Your blood is on your head. For your own mouth incriminated you. When you said, You said yourself, I have killed the Lord's anointed. So David is saying to him that I don't even need witnesses. You said it yourself. You admit it. Now that sounds good. The problem is that according to the Talmud, and it says this in a couple of places, the following, that one may not incriminate himself, that somebody may not incriminate himself, that's not enough to dish out punishment. It's got to be witnesses. That is, he can't be a witness against himself. And in this case, the only testimony David has is a self-incriminating confession. Not only that, in order to put someone to death, you have to warn him first, and there has to be witnesses. You don't have any of that here. Now, another thing, Saul was already fatally wounded prior to the Amalekite getting involved. Saul was going to die any minute. He was just in agony. It's not like the Amalekite actually killed him. Saul was going to die anyway. So the Yubarbanel says that, yeah, it's not really halacha, what David did. It's not the dry halacha, but it's what you call horat sha'ah. It's a temporary ruling for a situation, a one-time only ruling for this present moment. Why? Because like we said before, David did not want people wiping out Saul's regime. He had a lot of reasons to kill this Amalekite, and it might not have been according to the dry halacha. He might have stretched it, but he wanted to get the message through. You don't mess with Saul's family. I'm not going to sponsor it. And if you do anything to them, I'll kill you. And in our next year, we will learn David's famous lamentation about Saul and Yonatan and the fall of the Jewish people at Har Gilboa. And we'll learn verse by verse the famous lamentation, Ech naflugi barim, how the mighty have fallen. So stay tuned for that. 